May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning and Happy New Year. I'll do both. This morning, we are beginning a new sermon series. And I actually just turned this mic. There we go. Uh, that's why you shouldn't futz with stuff on the front when you're... Uh, that's my bad. Um, we're beginning a new sermon series, and we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians and talking about the ways in which what we see is that God is designing a home. He's building a place for himself to dwell and for us to dwell. You know, sometimes when we read the writings of Paul, we do one of two things. We either get really invested in the theology, the big picture, brilliant, large mind thinking that Paul does, where he talks about God's grand plan throughout history, or we look at the very practical day-to-day things that he teaches. You know, uh, here's how I want you to behave as the church. You know, in your households, this is what you should look like. And the truth is, Paul is not writing just for theological scholars, and he's not writing just for family matters. He's, he's writing to address humanity as a whole. And when Paul has practical day-to-day concerns, they're distinctly related to the theology that he's sharing with us. And when Paul shares theology, big picture ideas about who God is and what he's doing, those inform the practical elements of his teaching to the church. They're one and the same. Sometimes uh, we read like the book of Romans and we spend the vast majority of our time in like the first eight chapters or so. And we spend a lot of time really discussing how brilliant Paul is and look at all this really practical theology. And then we forget at the end, all of that theology is written to serve the unity of the body of Christ in Rome. That it's not arrows to be slung at one another, but it's Paul tearing down the arrows that people have used in the past, tearing down the walls. He's breaking down the barriers that exist within the body of Christ for greater unity. I'm going to tell you this this morning. I think Ephesians, and this is going to get me in trouble with a lot of people, is a better book than Romans. I think that Paul does what he does in Romans in the book of Ephesians more quickly and more concisely. Romans is a great masterwork of theology, and there's some things in there that Paul says that are the essence of the gospel. They are the distillation of all the good things that we should know and be able to recite backward and forward. Don't neglect the book of Romans, but I tell you what, if you want to get to the point, if you really want to understand what Paul's big picture of the church and God's plan for the church is, you can't do much better than going to the book of Ephesians. He begins with exactly the verse that we have written on the back wall. Now, he introduces himself, right? He says, this is who I am, and this is who you are, and this is what we're all about. But he says at the very beginning, and we usually use this as our mic check in the back, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. If you want to know who Paul believes in, it is a God who gives generously, who blesses his people with every blessing that heaven can hold, and he does it through the person of Jesus Christ. 
He does it through his son. It is by Jesus that we find the things that we need most and oftentimes more than we could possibly want or imagine. When we read the book of Ephesians, Paul carefully builds an argument that what God has always been doing, what God has always wanted to do, is to dwell with his people, to be near them, and to have them near him. And this morning, Paul gets right to the point. As we read just a moment ago, as Corey shared with us, God from the beginning had a plan, a, a will. He destined that something should be. And I want to take a few moments this morning to, to really dwell with something that can oftentimes be a difficult thing for us to wrestle with in the book of Ephesians and in the book of Romans. And it's a translation issue. Uh, I know that's a super exciting thing for us to spend a lot of time in in services, but I tell you what, there's been a lot of bad theology built on bad translation throughout the history of the church. Churches have divided over bad translation. People have oftentimes really struggled in just getting along because they can open up a Bible and say, well, this is what my Bible says here. And someone else opens up their Bible and says, well, this is what my Bible says here. And the truth is, if you go back to the original text, it's not saying either of those things. And yet we, we fight each other over it. And that's clearly not what Paul wants to have happen. Paul, the man who spends so much time trying to say, you know what? I just want you guys to get along for the sake of the gospel of Christ and the witness to the world, I want you to live at peace with one another. I'm paraphrasing like everything Paul ever wrote. If you, if you don't believe me, go read everything Paul ever wrote and tell me that his core goal for the church is not to be unified. And so as we read Ephesians this morning, as we begin the process of building this, this idea of what the household of God looks like, I want us to really ponder a, a difficult issue here. And actually, it came up in our moment here where Corey came up and he had one translation here and another translation on the screen, and I'm working with yet a third translation. So on your bulletin, you have the NIV version. And there's a word that you're going to encounter in the NIV version that says predestined. There's another word that was used in the NRSV. That's what we had up on the screen. NRSV, I believe. That says God destined. And this morning, I'm working from the ESV, which says that God predestined. There is a debate within the church about this word. So I want you to think for just a moment here. It says in Ephesians 1, verse, the second half of verse 8 through 10, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. This is something that God has done. He has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, the thing he wants to accomplish, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Paul tells us that God's plan from the very beginning, the thing he most wanted to accomplish, was to take the things of heaven and the things of earth and bring them together. 
Kyle alluded to this last week. I think he talked a little bit about this idea of the end of the book of Revelation is this uniting of the new heaven and the new earth, the, the new Jerusalem, in fact, coming out of heaven and, and being in the center of the new creation. That God's plan from the very beginning was not for us to be separate from him and then for him to bring himself to us, but to bring us together. Paul believed that this was the whole reason for creation in the first place. God could very well have created a bunch of spiritual beings and placed them in heaven with himself and tested and tried them there to see if that was where they belonged. But that was not what God did. God created. He made the choice to create a heaven and to create an earth. He made a choice to place the stars in the sky to spin into existence the planets, to cause the ocean to to have tides. He planted the trees and placed a garden in the middle of it all that was the perfect place for him to walk with his creation. And God said, that was very good. And there is sometimes this temptation within Christian circles to think that what God actually meant by very good is, yes, this now fits my purpose. And it is, in fact, the truth that creation fit God's purpose. But Paul doesn't think that God's purpose is to then spend the remainder of human history getting ready to destroy the good thing that he made. Paul believes that God's intent and purpose is to work to bring the heavens and the earth together to unite those two things in some grand plan that he had from the beginning. Take a look at those words again. Will, purpose, plan, will, purpose, plan. Those are not terms we use for something that is the accidental result that comes about over the course of a series of unfortunate events. These are the words of an architect, someone planning, someone constructing, someone with an end goal in mind. And from the very beginning, God's plan, his will, his purpose was to unite the things of heaven and earth. Now, I've said that several times this morning, so that might actually be something important for us to remember over the remainder of our study on the book of Ephesians. But it's essential for us to understand that, that this is Paul's thesis. He begins, like any good writer would, with building towards a thesis, and now he's going to support that thesis over the next several chapters and tell us how we become involved in that plan, how we become a part of constructing the thing which God desired from the beginning. I don't need to preach the next three sermons because that's all I need to tell you. No, Um, the truth is, If we want to understand the book of Ephesians, we have it laid out for us right here. What is God doing? What's the point of the gospel? What is the point of the church? Why doesn't Jesus just come back right now? Because God has a plan. 
And that plan is to unite all things in heaven and things on earth. In him. This is the core of Paul's theology, and I would argue it is the core of Jesus' theology. When Jesus talks about what he has come to do, he begins in the Gospel of Mark by saying, Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Believe this gospel. Believe this good news. The good news that Jesus preached was that the kingdom of heaven had arrived. And then he lives it out. And he shows us what it means for the things of heaven to be united with the things of earth in his incarnation. Everywhere Jesus goes, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everything that Jesus does is the effect of the kingdom of heaven in earth. And everything that Jesus says are the proclamations of the kingdom of heaven to the people of the earth. Paul's theology tells us that we are supposed to be a part of that. And I think for us to really understand our place in that, we have to understand God's design, God's purpose, how he accomplishes what he says he's going to accomplish. And so this morning, I want us to continue to look here at Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to take a look at 11 and 12. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been, and this is the word we're really going to struggle with this morning, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We have obtained an inheritance. I'm going to work us through this here in just a second. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to praise of his glory. Now I want to look at this word, this word predestined here. Because this is the one we often wrestle with. In fact, this is probably the word that we have the greatest difference with a broad, vast swath of other people who call themselves Christians, who follow Jesus, who love the story of the gospel. We oftentimes divide with them over this word predestined. And I want to talk about why that is this morning. I want to talk about the way that Paul uses this, and I want us to understand a little bit better what Paul is saying here. Most of us know this word predestined to mean that some have been chosen to be saved, while others have been chosen to be unsaved. That God has said, you know what, I like Dawn. Or maybe I don't. But either way, I want Dawn to be saved. And so Don is now saved. And Don doesn't have any choice in this. This is irresistible salvation, irresistible grace. I'm giving it to him whether he wants it or not. And he's going to want it because he can't not want it. Because I've given it to him and I've decided he's going to want it. 
Some really difficult logic there if you really stop and think about it for just a moment. And I want to tell you this morning, this is not what we believe. And in fact, I don't think this is what Paul means when he uses the word predestined. Historically, and I'm talking the grand scheme of history, not the last 500 years, the church has not taught that some people have been chosen to be saved, while others have been chosen not to be saved. That idea of predestination has had moments where it has flared up and moments where it has been soundly and roundly squashed and squelched. The church has always believed, historically speaking, that God has destined from the beginning that everyone might have salvation. That everyone could have access to the grace which God extends to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and participation on our part with that death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. That is the historical belief of Christianity, and I believe that is what Scripture teaches us. Thank you. (laughs) It is important for us to understand that when Paul uses the word predestination, he is not telling us that Mona is in and Rick is out. Sorry, Rick, I have to pick someone sitting right next to Mona. What Paul is telling us is that God has always intended from the beginning to destine, to pre- Destin is for God to have had a plan, for him to have had a purpose. Now, in this specific verse, it can be really easy to read it and say, you know what? I see here that there were some specific individuals that were predestined. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his Will, God has schemed through history to find a specific set of individuals, and those specific set of individuals are in, and everybody else is out. Well, if that's the case, what is the point of evangelism? What in the world was Paul doing by going all over the Roman Empire to proclaim the good news to people up here and people over here and people who didn't speak his own language and people that were going to stone him? Why in the world would you go into a town to proclaim that the God that was worshipped up on the hill was the wrong God so that you could be stoned and dragged out of town if you believed that the people that were already there who already knew Jesus or didn't know Jesus didn't really have a choice one way or another in whether or not they were going to be saved. Paul didn't believe that there were people that the gospel wasn't intended for. A man who thinks that those who are going to be saved are going to be saved regardless of what we might do or what the Spirit might do, or what the church as a whole might do, that kind of man doesn't put his life on the line for the salvation of others. Paul believed firmly that the proclamation of the good news was one of the essential aspects of the life of the church because there were those who might not hear the gospel and their lives were in jeopardy 
because they had not heard the gospel. And if you've already been chosen for salvation or for destruction, it doesn't matter whether, you've not, whether or not you've heard the gospel. So clearly, Paul believed. Paul believed that people needed to hear the good news and believe it themselves for salvation. What is Paul talking about? We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. Well, I want to be clear here. I think Paul had a very grand view of himself. Not a grand view of himself in the sense that he had done something great or that he deserved the position he was in, but a grand view of God's purpose in his life specifically. In fact, I believe that Paul had a grand view of the work of the Spirit in the people that God had chosen to be apostles to the church and to the world. If you look at this, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Paul believes that he is among the first. Those of us who came early, God had a plan for us. God had something in store for us so that his glory might be praised. I was helpful to myself and highlighted these, but I already talked about all those words, so we're going to move on. In him, you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to praise of his glory. Yes, God had to start somewhere. God had to begin with some group of people, and in his infinite wisdom, his eternal plan, his will, he predestined that there might be some that come to faith early so that they might then share with others, you also, that when you heard the word of truth, When you heard the word of truth, you believed and were sealed with the Holy Spirit. God's plan was for us to be convicted about the essential quality of the sharing of the gospel. To see lives changed by those who had been selected ahead of time to share the good news, so that others might come to faith. Paul's selection as an apostle is wildly out of left field. I want you to really think about the way that this works. Jesus spends three years walking alongside 12 men, and those 12 men get to know him and see his ministry inside and out and come to a full and complete understanding of who he was or as complete an understanding as anyone might have had of who he was, what his priorities were, the way he spoke, the way he walked, the way he loved, the way that he encountered the broken 
and those who were cast aside. These surely are the men that God is going to use to to shape the church, and he does in many wonderful ways utilize those men to encourage and equip and build up the saints for all good works. But then there's this guy, a little too young to have been one of the apostles. Paul says he arrived a little too late, like one at the wrong time. A persecutor of the church who has to spend quite a long time himself being instructed by the people who knew Jesus best calls him on the way to persecuting the church, papers in hand to have people dragged to a trial to be executed. And God chooses this guy to be a messenger first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Why? Because the marvelous and miraculous conversion of a man like that is a witness to the gospel. Did God choose Paul specifically? Absolutely. I mean, you can't read the book of Acts without seeing that. And Paul believes that it was destined that he would come to Christ so that he might do the good works that God had prepared in advance for him to do. But it's precisely because Paul doesn't think that every last person that's ever going to be saved was chosen ahead of time that he takes the commission he's given so seriously. I think we have a Christian culture in the United States that's become a little apathetic about real evangelism because we have such muddled ideas about what predestination means. God's going to sort it all out in the end. God's going to figure it out. God's not going to let good people suffer. My responsibility in this whole thing is very small. How many people can I really have an impact on? How many people can I really bring to Christ? You know, it's it's not my job to share with others. But Paul, knowing the plan of God, desperately pleads with the church to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. Paul pleads desperately with them to recognize the role that they have in fulfilling the plan that God had laid the foundation for from the beginning of time. And I want to be clear with you, Paul would tell you, if you do not sense the urgency of sharing the gospel, you have been lulled into a slumber. There are those who need to hear the gospel of Christ so desperately. And you are the tool that God intends to use. For some of us, it's our children who sit in our houses with us every night around the dinner table, hopefully, or maybe standing at a counter as we go from one activity to another. For some of us, it is our next-door neighbor. For some people, it's our, our former spouse. For some people, 
It is the coworker that you just can't stand because they clip their toenails in the cubicle next to you, and there is no place in heaven for that person. I hope you don't have, I hope you don't have a coworker like that. That would be miserable. But they still need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you been chosen? by Christ, to carry the message of the gospel to your workplace? Are we as a church building ourselves up to receive those that we are called to proclaim the gospel to? And if God has put this much forethought into what this all looks like and has planned from the very beginning for this to be his hands and feet in the world, for this to be the home in which he dwells, for this to be the home in which we dwell, shouldn't we put some thought into what that looks like as well? In a couple of weeks, actually the last week of this month, we're going to have a guest speaker. His name is John Reed. John has been doing for decades a, a ministry called the Welcome Home Ministry. And John's going to come share with us about the success that he's had in his own congregation, uh, the Hilltop Church of Christ in El Segundo, California. He's going to talk to us a little bit about the way he's worked with other churches in the past to help them start a welcome home ministry within their congregation. He's going to share with us some of the success stories that they've seen. But the key is, what he's going to share with us is how important it is for us to be intentional intentional about the ministry we have to the people that walk through our door or think about walking through our door or have never thought about walking through our door? How do we welcome them into the household of God? I think the book of Ephesians is going to tell us in many ways what that looks like. I want to encourage you to be here on the 29th because I think that John has an infectious spirit. Our elders in meeting with him uh, were, were, I think, very enthusiastic about what he had to share. Uh, John is very personable. I think you'll like him. I really like him. Uh, And I just want to encourage you to be here to hear what it is that he has to share. This is the beginning of a process for our church in considering how we can be as as intentional about the way we engage those who need to hear the gospel as God is intentional in the telling of the story of the church. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to be planners like you. You had a plan from the beginning and you executed it perfectly every step of the way. And while we may not have been able to see what it looked like until it found its embodiment in the person of Jesus Christ, your Son, we are so glad that your forethought, your design, your purpose never strayed. Help us to be clear on what that image, that picture, that that plan, that design is. And help us to come to conclusions about how we fit into it, how we continue to tell the story that you have been telling through history. That all things in heaven and earth might be united in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.